everybody. Just wanted to kind of give you a heads up on the special episode that you're about to get ready to dive into. This is source materials contribution to the Superblog team-up. So if you have not heard of the Superblog team-up before, it is a gathering of like-minded individuals who either write or do podcasts, usually centered around comics. Now, this iteration of the Superblog team-up is all about the work of George Perez. So... All of us got together to discuss uh, certain books or works in his career, and this is Source Materials' addition to that. Go to Twitter or Google, and you can type in SuperBlogTeamUp or hashtag SBTU, and you should be able to find a lot of the work that is being completed for this. But there will be links to all of the other contributors in the show notes. Before we get into the episode, I'll just run down real quick what we have going on here. This went live Thursday, January 20th. The Superhero Satellite just has something titled Perez. Go check out uh, charltonhero.wordpress.com and you should be able to find the blog that Chris Bailey had wrote. Then we have Between the Pages blog, George Perez's Uncanny X-Men. should be able to find that at betweenthepagesblog.com. And then we have the Telltale Mind giving us Future Imperfect. So check out the telltalemind.com for that entry. In my not-so-humble opinion, iBots from Techno Comics. Check out BenjaminHerman.wordpress.com for that article. Dave's comic blog is coming through with George Perez's Fantastic Titanic First. So check out Dave's ComicHeroes.blogspot.com for that article. Comics, Comics, Comics blog is bringing us Justice League of America 200 and discovering George Perez. Uh, just check out Comics, Comics, Comics.blog and you should be able to find the article there. Asterisk 51, Evan Bevins coming through with JLA Avengers. It had to be George. Should be able to find that at Asterisk51.blogspot.com. That's asterisk51.blogspot.com. The Rattelich and Broadcasting Network should be releasing a comic stripped on Logan's Run. I'll be participating in that, and of course it's Mark Rattelich, myself, and we look to be joined by Evan Bevins and Hal Sedano of Resurrections and Adam Warlock and Thanos podcast. So that should be a lot of fun. We're going to be talking about the comic and we're going to be talking about the movie. Uh, so source material is a part of the Rattelich and Broadcasting Network, so you should be able to find that podcast pretty easily. So with that being said, let's get this party started. It's myself. It is Chris Armstrong talking Brave and the Bold one through six. All right, ladies and gentlemen, welcome to another episode of the Source Material Comics Podcast. That's right, I am Jesse Starcher, and this week we are going to be participating in the Super Blog Team-Up to pay tribute and in honor of George Perez. Everybody A amongst the, cause. Absolutely, absolutely. Everybody amongst the Superblog team up uh, is going to be talking about uh, something that George Perez has either done or been involved in in some way. And this marks one of the three shows that I'm actually going to be in. Uh, we'll definitely be talking about George's work this week. Anyway, I'm not here alone. Of course, my 90s brother from another mother, Chris Armstrong, I said, buddy, tell me some stuff we can cover 
uh, <laughs> about George Perez, something that you'd like to like to discuss. And you threw a big litany of things out there. We landed on this one. I can't remember if I chose this one. Yeah, I, th- I threw out like probably 10 or 12 different things. And I think you uh, zeroed in on this. And, and that okay. was all I was totally on board. <laughs> okay, yeah. Well, the only reason I probably chose this was just because I didn't have any experience reading The Brave and the Bold. I knew mm-hmm. of it as a comic book, but I didn't know like what the premise was. So I wanted to kind of experience something new. Going through these first six issues, so this is Brave and the Bold, one through six, came out in beginning of 2007, maybe it says April of 2007 was the first issue. Uh, and this was Mark Wade, very, very prominent name in comics lore, along with, of course, George Perez here. They are the storytellers of the six part big story involving a lot of DC characters. Right, let me let me just ask you first. You at least did a little bit more research than I did in regards to the Brave and the Bold and the history that came before. Um, why don't you lay it out there, what you found? This 2007 series was the first time I'd ever uh, bought any or collected any Brave and the Bold stuff. I had it in my head that Brave and the Bold was always a Batman-Superman team-up thing, but mm-hmm. I think I was confusing that with World's Finest, maybe. Right, right. Uh, so I was looking into the Brave and the Bold, like the history, and it's kind of interesting. So I'll just kind of go over over uh, some of the stuff I found out, which was that it was originally an anthology series for DC and it featured tales from past ages with characters like the Silver Knight, the Viking Prince, Robin Hood. So no superhero stuff at all in the, in the early days. Okay. Uh, issue number 25 was kind of a shift in the title where it became like a tryout for new characters and, and new uh, storylines and stuff. So like issue 25 was the original Suicide Squad's first appearance, which oh. I didn't even know the Suicide Squad is anything but the, you know, Ostrander, you know, 80s. Right. Uh, series uh, until a few years ago when I guess when the movie, the first movie came out, the original Suicide Squad's first appearance became like another hot book in addition to the Ostrander version, which I think the original Suicide Squad was just like a um, maybe like an, a, a Sergeant Rock type, like a war book. Mm-hmm. Um, that was issue 25 of Brave and the Bold. And then in issue 50, uh, that started the team up era with okay. uh, established superhero characters kind of joining forces. And pretty soon after that, it became just a Batman team-up book, kind of like there's been a lot of Spider-Man team-up books for Marvel over the years, and that's kind of what uh, Brave and the Bold became for DC. It was basically Batman and guest stars uh, teaming up with him. I guess this was around the time the Batman TV show uh, was a real big hit, so okay. kind of made sense for them to focus on Batman. Um I just made a list of some of the notable like landmarks in the Brave and the Bold series. Like issue number 28 was the first appearance of the Justice League of America. Uh, wow. Number 34 was the first Silver Age Hawkman appearance, which was a Joe Kubert. I forget who the uh, writer was, <laughs> <laughs> but uh, Kubert's uh, Hawkman was issue 34. Uh, issue number 54 was like a proto Teen Titans with uh, Robin, Kid Flash and Aqualad teaming up. I think within a year they they appeared as a as the Teen Titans as that trio, but they first appeared as in a team up book as as a Brave and the Bold number fifty four. Uh, number fifty seven was the first appearance of Metamorpho. Uh, number seventy nine was the first uh, Neil Adams Batman. So, oh, nice. Uh, nice. A lot of history in the Brave and the Bold uh, franchise. It kind of after it ended, I think it ended with issue two hundred, and then it kind there's been a few revivals since then. The the most notable one I think is probably this uh, two thousand seven version, which uh, started with Wade and Perez. And I saw an interview 
uh, with Perez about how he was planning to do the first 12 issues. Uh, that was going to be a big overarching story. D- DC pulled him off of it to do uh, Legion of Three Worlds, I think, which was part of oh. the Final Crisis uh, crossover. So he didn't get to finish it. He did, I think, the first nine issues, maybe eight or nine issues. One through six is kind of a complete story. There's uh, some of that stuff follows up in in, in the second story arc. But um, but yeah, that's that was uh, uh, kind of like the, a brief history there. <laughs> well, very nice. Did you did you read this stuff? I mean, before you? Yeah, I was I was um, I was picking up Brave and the Bull when it came out. I was super excited because I was already a big fan of Perez. I pretty much would buy anything he worked on. Uh, and I like Wade quite a bit as well. So mm-hmm. I jumped on board. Um, I think I followed it through the end of the uh, the second storyline. Uh, but once Perez was gone, I, it wasn't a priority. So I dropped yeah. off pretty much after that. Okay. Uh, and then I picked it up again later when Straczynski, J. Michael Straczynski uh, uh, took it over with Jesus Cez, I think, mm-hmm. uh, later. And I picked up a couple of those, but uh, I don't think I finished that storyline either. But but for the early uh, parts of the book, I was totally on board. <laughs> OK. All right. Yeah, I, I had no idea what I was getting here. Um, I Like I said, I'd heard of this series. I didn't know that. Uh, well, uh, let's just say I pull up the cover. I look at the cover and, <laughs> you know, I see Batman and Green Lantern. And I'm like, oh, OK, so this is going to be a team up book. That makes sense. That's probably I've seen stuff in the past that makes me believe that that's what we're going to be getting here. <laughs> You're not wrong. Yeah, no, no, I'm not wrong at all. I, but I had no idea what we were what <laughs> lie ahead of me. So uh, there is a, a lot of references to a lot of D.C. properties in this. And we'll, mm. we'll do our best. I can tell you, I'm not a scholar. Chris, I don't think claims to be a scholar <laughs> of D.C. comics. So no. These are issues that are absolutely worth a read and don't just go by listening to us because, number one, this is just an audio format podcast. We're doing this in honor and tribute of George Perez. You do not want to miss out on what unfolds on the pages because you want to see this. We should maybe mention, um, I guess, the reason for this, the, the Superblog team up uh, focusing on Perez. Uh, uh, his recently revealed that he was diagnosed with terminal cancer. and Yeah. He put out a statement. I think I mean, I'm sure most people who are listening to this have probably seen it. But uh, he put out a statement basically saying that he, you know, rather than go through treatments that probably weren't going to extend his life too much anyway, he would rather just spend his his uh, remaining time going out, visiting fans, visiting family, you know, one last time and, and trying to live life to the fullest for the for the rest of the time he has. And it really sucks because. He's an older guy. You know, he's been kind of semi retired pretty much for, I think, about a decade now. Um mm-hmm. But still too young, you know, to to be facing his mortality at this point. So it's it, it's a real bummer. Uh, he's a super a super good guy. You never hear any bad stories about George Perez. So yeah, like it is a very dignified way of saying I I have to face that I'm going to be gone soon, and I want you guys to know that I'm facing it. I want to celebrate my life with you guys. Uh, and it's like, dude, that's a big thing mm-hmm. for just anybody to do that. His uh, his work, uh, which we are doing here and the Superblog team up is doing, uh, is being celebrated uh, because it is magnificent. And uh, so just uh, as a kind of a precursor to the actual book, this is, you know, a book that kind of. Like you said, it, it starts out with Batman and Green Lantern. You think standard team up comic. Mm-hmm. And as it goes, like it just expands, you know, with all these all different right. characters. Mark Wade, you know, unlike us, Mark Wade is a historian of DC continuity. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. And uh, he, he's, it's one of the things you always appreciate about him. He can, um, 
tie modern comics in with the older like Silver Age and, and stuff like that. And you don't have to know everything that he's referencing. Uh, it, it always still feels like a, a really uh, inclusive and modern you know, take on a superhero comic, even when he's uh, roping in these uh, storylines and and characters from the past that, you know, you haven't really heard of in decades. And that's something that Wade's always kind of been known for. And this is kind of the perfect book for, you know, him and Perez to team up on because it gives Perez a lot of opportunities to draw a multitude of different superhero characters uh, in a short amount of time. You know, he loves doing team up books and he loves doing different characters. So this it's kind of a perfect pairing, and it really sucks that he didn't get to do the full, uh, you know, twelve issues he was con- contracted for, you know, initially. But what we did get was really good. So yeah, we get into this. Of, of course, our creative team. Uh, we just talked about Mark Wade, George Perez. We have Bob Wiacek on inks and Tom Smith on colors. Rob Lee, it looks like, is on lettering here. And so our first two stories are titled. Actually, I think. This whole series, this title, uh, this whole six issues is kind of like titled The Lords of Luck, but there's a subtitle for each one of these. So Mm. there's The Lords of Luck Roulette, which is chapter one, and then The Lords of Luck Ventura for chapter two. So here we go. That synopsis is coming up, but first let me talk about Amazon Music. If you're looking for a good platform that can fill those musical needs, Amazon Music has you covered. If you head to getamazonmusic.com slash W2M network, you can get a free 30-day trial where you can check out over 70 million songs. That's getamazonmusic.com slash W, the number 2M network for that free 30-day trial. Batman and Green Lantern team up to investigate a mysterious murder where the victim's body has shown up in over 60 different places across the world, including space and the Batcave. As the pair track down clues that lead them to Las Vegas, they soon learn the victim was a Venturan alien traitor named Drake that was killed by other Venturans as they knew he had possession of the Book of Destiny. However, his murderers, Adam and and Neferto did not know where he left the book. And following Green Lantern and Batman, they just led them to it. Armed with the curious weapon called the Haruspex and intent to recover the Book of Destiny, the two aliens duke it out with Batman and Green Lantern. By the end of the first issue, Adam grabs the Book of Destiny and escapes, heading towards space with Green Lantern quickly following behind, while Batman learns from Drake's significant other that the Book of Destiny has everything that was, is, or will be written in it, making it a relic of significant power. In issue two, Supergirl joins Green Lantern, tracking the alien in the Book of Destiny to Ventura, which is essentially a planet-sized Las Vegas. Scouring the planet for leads, they finally figure out a way to flush Adam out and are in pursuit. Realizing he has been found, Adam attempts to make his escape by looking into the book, but he is hit in the head and knocked out by an operative for the Ranian Rebel Underground. Our heroes find out this Ranian plans to use the book to turn the tide of the Ran-Thanagar War. Just before Green Lantern can control him, a Zeta Beam appears over the operative, transporting him to Ran with Hal hitching a ride. But unfortunately... Supergirl cannot follow. Back on Earth, Batman is tracking Neferto and soon gets some help with Jaime Reyes, the Blue Beetle. However, Neferto, Neferto may have the jump on the two heroes as, he's ha- as he has them dead in the sights of his powerful weapon, the Hyrospex. All right. So, boy, yeah, we had Batman, <laughs> we had Green Lantern, we had uh, this weird mystery at the beginning 
Um, mm-hmm. And then I I think we even had like uh, an appearance from a girl. Uh, what they call her? Was her name Roulette? Was that her name? I cannot remember her name. The the uh, villain. I can't remember. Um, that is and, her name. It is Roulette. Okay. All right. Yeah. And then Supergirl shows up. We got Ran Thanagar was actually playing a part in this. And uh, yeah, I mean, it gets pretty crazy. Zeta Beam's going everywhere. I, I just want to say, okay, our mystery at the beginning of this is a, a really neat setup. You know, Green Lantern finds this body floating out in space. It turns out there's 60 copies, over 60 copies of this body all around the Earth, one including the Batcave. Right. And uh, it's like, that is so weird. What is going, you know, what, what is actually going to happen? I thought, you know, just as a, just to toss this thing out there, that is a way crazy way to get this, uh, get this first <laughs> issue started as, as the story progressed, green lantern and Supergirl flushing out the atom was, or flushing out Adam. It could be Adam or Atum. I don't know which, how you want to pronounce it. I'm going to call it Adam. Ho- hopefully everybody understands. It's not the Adam from, uh, right. DC, but anyway, how they flushed him out, I think the way that they did it was Supergirl used some trickery and got everybody mm-hmm. on the planet to bet against her in this big fight. And, of course, she won. And the only person that knew that it w- she was going to win would have been, sure enough, it would have been Neferto. So they were able to figure out where he was. It, it gets a, a little bit of a light shown on it as we get to the next couple issues. But there is an instance in here that shows the Book of Destiny. It, yeah, it's got everything in it. But all of a sudden, things are changing, and Neferto sees right. that at one point. So, I mean, this book is pretty cool. You can open it up. You can look at whatever happened in the past, what's happening now, what's going to happen in the future. But he's starting to realize that things are not really staying not always the same. Stuff. Right. And then we got this crazy gun called the Haru Specs, which is another, again, another crazy, like, concept. <laughs> this book is full of them. But I can just tell you that, okay, you, you look at it and you think it's like this big, massive gun that's going to shoot off these huge blasts. It doesn't do that. Mm-hmm. The main thing we're about ready to see is it's it's trained on the Blue Beetle and Batman at the end of this. And you're wondering, okay, what is this thing going to do? And one of the comments that I'd seen in regards to these this story is that it almost fell in line with kind of like the way the brave and the bold had been in the past where it is, you know, these stories are usually pretty outlandish. That kind of tracks with Wade's style. I would think like he he would probably, he's going to do a brave and the bold. He's probably trying to give it the same kind of feel as it had, you know, in the past, but updating it for like modern audiences. Mm -hmm. Uh, You know, this, hits right in the midst of kind of the Green Lantern revival, you know, that Jeff Johns had going in in the mid to late aughts, you know, that was my favorite book pretty much in in comics at the time. So I was, even if it wasn't Wade and Perez, I was going to be all over this issue because Batman and Green Lantern were jumping up. Uh, And it's a cool to get, a team up like this, you not a you know you think Batman teaming up outside of Superman, you know you don't you normally would think of him more with street level type characters, but you've got him with you know a space cop, which right. is an interesting dynamic. And in the first few pages, you know Hal discovers this body and floating in space, and uh, his first instinct is, "Hey, Batman, uh, I've got a problem here," <laughs> and uh, and contacts him, and then. We get a, a little back and forth where Batman basically describes the body perfectly. And, you know, Hal's, you know, 20,000 miles in space or whatever. <laughs> and uh, 
he's like, my God, you really are the world's greatest detective. How did you know all that? And <laughs> yeah. flashes to the Batcave and the exact same, you know, a body is in, in the Batcave lying there dead on the floor. Yeah. Uh, and he's and Batman's basically like, don't give me too much credit. Uh, <laughs> so that was a cool uh, little joke at the beginning to kind of get things started. The back and forth between uh, Batman and Green Lantern uh, is, is kind of cool, especially uh, as Hal and Bruce when – uh, they're going into this high roller casino. Yes. Bruce Wayne in his ten thousand dollar suit or whatever right. is uh, is right at home. And Hal's you know in his bomber jacket. They don't even want to let him in there. Bruce has to like tell the guy at the door, "No, he's with me." And uh, <laughs> they get going on some blackjack. We see like the fearless Hal. You know he's he's at twenty, and they keep 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 saying, "Hit me!" And, right. Uh, and Bruce is like, "Oh wait, wait, what's oh?" And then you know he he wins. But uh, it's just a cool to see the characterization between those two in a non like superhero action type setting. Uh, I really liked that. Um, and then the, the second issue is, is kind of the, the green lantern Supergirl, uh, team up. And this is the Supergirl that I guess had just appeared pretty recently, probably within two or three years before this, uh, she showed up in Batman, Superman, the, the crossover, uh, team up book that they had going. And Jeff Loeb uh, reintroduced Supergirl, and Green Lantern is constantly having to like remind himself, "Hey, this girl's only 17." So it's yeah. <laughs> it's kind of like you know you know um, Hal Jordan is kind of you know the horny flyboy guy, <laughs> so right. you expect that kind of thing. But then he's like, it's like, it's, so if she was 18, is he going to be hitting on her? I don't. <laughs> uh, I mean, I would think just not wanting to piss off Superman would be enough to convince him to, to right. lay off anyway. But yeah, that was kind of humorous. And then the the space casino, you know, the, the casino, you know, the Las Vegas Strip and all that stuff, Perez uh, does a cool job with that. But like when he gets to do the space casino, it looks like he's really getting to let loose. And uh, oh, yeah. it's just really, it's, it's really awesome looking. But yeah. that's pretty much all I've got for the first first couple issues. Yeah, I, you know, I did have the whole tension between Hal and Supergirl kind of like on my <laughs> list. Hal's like, yo, look, stop with the crush thing. And it's like, <laughs> yeah, she's really really like handsy you know she wants to snuggle up with him and stuff like making things really awkward right and but she looks at him at one point and says so you think i'm a you what does she say she says something like you don't think i'm an adult or she says i'm you think i'm a kid or something like that i can't remember what Mm -hmm. exactly it is that's what sets her off and she's like okay i'll show you and then she turns (laughs) off and and turns around and then gets in the ring with those two ogre right gets into it with them well, you got any thoughts on the Blue Beetle? I mean, this is a Blue Beetle that, again, I know of Ted Cord. Uh, so this is not Ted Cord. This is uh, Jaime. I think is his name, Jaime Reyes. And he's got this crazy suit. You ever read anything with him in it? I remember reading the first like one or two issues of Blue Beetle. I never followed up on it. Um, I know that that was a popular character at the time. A lot. I remember maybe it was in Wizard or maybe it was just online chatter. There were a lot of comparisons to like – this was DC's answer to ultimate Spider-Man, you know, like a teenage superhero uh, that they were bringing in. Uh, this would have been post infinite crisis because uh, Ted Cord was dead, I guess at this point when he, mm-hmm. when he shows up. Uh, but I, I don't know. I'm not super familiar with the character. Um, it's a really cool design on the, on the armor and stuff, but I don't know a whole lot about him. Okay. All right. Well, grab your first issue there, man. Let's go ahead and we'll pick some, uh, we'll pick some art here. Let's see where our favorite stuff is. I'm going to, I'll pick first. That way maybe I can back you into a corner. (laughs) (laughs) Uh, And man, I'll tell you the colors on this are fantastic too. Yeah. I mean, it's an amazing, it's an amazing, this is kind of, I would qualify sort of as um, 
just past uh, Prime George Perez. Then that's me. You know, my to me the the Avengers run he did with Busick in the late nineties is is kind of what I consider the peak. A lot of you know. People who grew up reading his stuff on New Teen Titans, Crisis on Infinite Earths, they would probably point to that. But this is like after the Avengers run, after JLA Avengers. But he's, I mean, it's he's still fantastic. And every page, like, there's no, you know, there's nothing bad here. There's just not any super spectacular, like, splash pages necessarily in this issue. Right, right. Well, I'll tell you what I'll do. I will take when the yellow monster first arrives. And one of the things that you can easily see with George's work is the amount of detail. And when you look at something, you can Mm -hmm. go, that's had to have taken some work to do. (laughs) Uh, I had taken some time. Yeah. And by all accounts, that's that I've heard. That's what he enjoys. Like that's, he loves putting all those details in. Take a look at that, where the, where the yellow monster first arrives. And yeah, you got some, you know, you got Batman, how Jordan's kind of flying away from it backwards, you know, at some point, and you got the beast coming through whatever this portal is. But how many lines do you think <laughs> are made in that just from, just I guess, in those, blast? I, I guess yeah, it's a impact, blast. Kind of like that impact wave. Uh, yeah, There has to be over or close to a thousand just tiny little <laughs> dashes. Mm-hmm. That's amazing to me. So I'm going to go ahead and pick that one. Not a bad choice. I'm going to go, you know, we don't have page counts on these issues, unfortunately, at the bottom. So uh, I, this is in the midst of the conflict with roulette. And I'm going to go with how <laughs> it's kind of a it's it's kind of a full length page. It's the first panel of how throwing a big Green Lantern punch uh, and oh. knocking this bad guy out of the window <laughs> Uh, it, you know, th- this first issue really makes me want to read a Green Lantern core book that Perez works on. Cause right. you know, something about Green Lantern is inherently silly with all of the, you know, him using the ring to make big boxing gloves or, you know, a catcher's mitt he does at one point and, yeah. and, and stuff like that. But that's kind of, you have to kind of embrace that silliness to enjoy, uh, the Green Lantern character really. And it would have been awesome to see, uh, a Perez like Green Lantern core book. I don't think I, I know he worked on a lot of DC stuff where Green Lantern shows up, but as far as I know, he never worked on a Green Lantern uh, book exclusively. That would have been really cool to see. Yeah. But yeah, that's my panel is him uh, punching the guy through through the window or through the wall. <laughs> I like it. Yeah, that's pretty cool. All right, how about issue two? Let's take a look at issue two and see what we got there. Good golly! Again, a lot of uh, really cool stuff here. Uh, he's got all these aliens in the background of all these different scenes in the in the casino uh, planet. I'll go yeah. with the, uh, the with the splash page opening on the planet where you see the full effect of all of the uh, the casinos there and and everything going on in the background. Yeah, there is a lot of stuff. That's where they you know they get the the credits in there too, which is a neat mm-hmm. way of doing that. You know, okay, you know, check out these here. Here's who brought you the comic. There's a lot going on there. And that's another thing about George's work is that it's he, he does busy without it looking busy sometimes. Like he's mm-hmm. a way it, the way that he does things is like there's a lot going on in that page. And you you can take your time and look at so much to figure out what is going on in just that one panel or, you know, on that one page. There's so much that you can just sit there and enjoy. Um, OK, well, then let me go ahead and I will take let's see the brothers Greg. that's their name the brothers Greg, nice. uh taking on any and all oncomers and uh yeah supergirl goes in the bat you know she they're towering over her they're going to 
Whipper. Of course, she dresses up with these little pigtails, holding a couple right. stuffed animals. You know, <laughs> she's she's putting on the uh, on the show. I'll go with the one where it's a, it's kind of like a white background. Uh, the brothers Greg flying in the air as she is like singing, swinging one of them into the other. So I'll go with that. That's uh, that's dynamic enough for me. The Lords of Luck, the Lord of Time, Chapter Three, and the Lords of Luck, the Garden of Destiny, Chapter Four. That's what we're about to get into here. So uh, our creative team stays the same. It looks like George pencils and inks, page twenty-one and twenty-two of our third issue. So here we go. All right, catching up with Batman and the Blue Beetle. And the Ferto fired the Harrispex, Adam. Okay, remember he Adam in his sights, fires it, and the pair have to all of a sudden dig themselves out of out of an avalanche. So that is like I think one of the few times we we see this thing aimed and shot, and it's you know it doesn't shoot bolts. It sh- it makes weird things happen. <laughs> um, so now all of a sudden there's this avalanche, there's this huge snowstorm that's going on, uh, and Batman finally lays out the details about Neferto and his weapon, the Harrowspex, which alters probability to maximize the odds of a kill. There you go. When, when Batman deduces Neferto would want off the planet ASAP, he mentions that someone with uh, someone that's interested in magical weapons may be interested in trying to help Neferto out in exchange for the Harrowspex. Blue Beetle says, hey, wait a second, I know someone that just might be interested, and it's a lady by the name of Ladama, who actually is entertaining an offer to Neferto right at that time. But things get crazy when Epoch, the Lord of Time, shows up with the Fatal Five, okay, to claim the Harrowspex. Now, I'll talk about the Fatal Five here in a second. Granted, we're getting into some legal stuff and that intimidates <laughs> probably some of the even even the more respected dc readers uh but i'll do my best to kind of talk sure. about the yeah batman and blue beetle leap into action trying to grab the harospex but during the fray while batman is fighting the cyborg therok the harospex is fired at both of them and the end result is hero and villain merged into one being scrambling blue beetle is trying to figure out how to separate therok and batman but the rest of the fatal five may not allow him the time to do so as batman fights for control over their body from Therok. Blue Beetle grabs the Harrowspex, attempting to figure out a way to undo what happened. However, Batman gathers himself enough to force Jaime to pull the trigger, seemingly vaporizing Batman slash Therok. At the end of the issues, though, we check in on Batman, who awakens in a cell with most of the Fatal Five still attached to Therok. So they're, they're still together, but now all of a sudden the Fatal Five are like out of it, and he wakes up in this in this jail cell, and he's trying to figure out what's going on. When the cell doors open, it is revealed he is in a prison controlled by the Legion of Superheroes. So that's our first part of the story. Our second part is Supergirl. So Supergirl is trying to find a way to get to Rand in order to help Hal. A local resident says he knows the best navigator in the galaxy, and it just so happens to be the main man. Lobo. As the duo trek across space to Rand, Lobo continually wants to stop everywhere and drink. When Supergirl finally convinces them to leave, the two walk out of a bar transported to a strange hedge maze that is attended by a being that the being says that he was the guardian of the Book of Destiny and was its sole reader until one day he began to notice there were figures within the events unfolding on the pages that he could not see. And these figures were rewriting destiny. Now, I'm going to read this specific panel 
This is the Guardian talking here. The book was no longer safe with me, nor I with it. In my final moment of clarity, I realized the same men who were destroying it could repair it. I took steps to place it in their possession. So the Guardian sees these things that are happening within the pages of Destiny. He's trying to figure out who's doing this because he can't see them. And they're, they're somehow invisible to the book of Destiny. And they're able to rewrite it. So he's decided, well, I need to get this book to them because they're the ones that probably should be in uh, in possession of it. Now, the only problem is, is that he has no idea who these people are. He just knows these things are out there. Uh, but he says Batman and Green Lantern will know. So he's telling this to Supergirl, like, hey, look, I had the book at one point. Obviously, other people have got it now, but it needs to be in the possession of these people that I cannot see. But the people who know will be Green Lantern and Batman. But there is another caveat. The Luck Lords, or the Lords of Luck as he calls them, are manipulating events in order to get the book. So time is of the essence. Now, they've, they've got to get this book before the Lords of Luck or the Luck Lords do. Uh, so Lobo and Supergirl hightail it to Rand where Lobo drops her off and she doesn't pay. <laughs> Flying to the surface, Supergirl is attacked and it turns out Green Lantern and Adam Strange are in the midst of helping the Ranians fight a battle against the Than Thanagarians. So, oh boy, was that a lot. Um, <laughs> man. So what do you think of the, the Batman saga that unfolded here? Give me your thoughts here, man. Uh, the main thing I think I liked about it was just the interaction between Batman and Blue Beetle. <laughs> who, yeah. Uh, it was cool seeing, you know, Blue Beetle thinks of Batman as this terrifying figure. You know, he's really new to the superhero thing. So <laughs> I don't think he'd actually met Batman before this. So we get a moment where Perez is doing a classic, you know, Batman chasing a, a criminal down an alley, intimidating him. And Blue Beetle's just kind of watching, you know, in awe at the, at the whole thing. Really cool uh, moment there. The Fatal Five... Like you said, that's digging into Legion stuff, which I'm almost completely unfamiliar with. Right. <laughs> and, uh, so these characters were all new to me at the time, and this is the only thing I've ever read, I think, with them in it. It's interesting that they show up, uh, and, and Wade is tying the Legion in, because I'm pretty sure at this time he had just launched a new Legion of Superheroes comic, which is the only Legion book I've ever read. I read the first like probably year or so of that book before I kind of dropped off of it. Uh, and I know at one point he must have really liked writing Supergirl because he wrote Supergirl into that Legion book in the later uh, stage of its run, too. But yeah, Legion stuff I'm super uh, unfamiliar with for the most part. Uh, the appearance of, of the Fatal Five definitely like kicks things up a notch as far as the stakes of the story. Like it's obviously getting bigger uh, and, and expanding, you know, with future characters and stuff like that. Right. So our, the members of the Fatal Five, I'm just going to give names and you do your best to kind of like just describe <laughs> what they look like. Okay. So I'm on, I'm on the spot. I'm at the spot where uh, they're running down, running down the names and who they are. Okay. So I'll read you. I'll, re I'll read the bubble. You tell the people what they look like. So this uh, first person uh, after Epoch shows up, which he looks like a spaceman time traveler straight out of like a 60s sci-fi you know cheesy sci-fi movie basically right. which is probably when he was designed so right makes sense. right uh all right so we have mano whose antimatter palm vaporizes whatever it touches he's in what appears to be just like a yellow and orange like spandex uh suit but he's got a big uh ash like an old school astronaut uh globe on his head mm -hmm. <laughs> and you see through it it's just almost like a skull with like all this energy 
uh, enveloping it, almost like uh, reminds me of Holocaust from the yeah. onslaught, or not the onslaught, but the Age of Apocalypse stuff in, in X Men in the nineties. And then on one of his two hands, his right hand, uh, I guess antimatter palm is antimatter <laughs> palm. <laughs> uh, yeah, he, he uses it to literally disintegrate uh, some guy that's unfortunate enough to be within his vicinity. All right, then we have Persuader, whose atomic axe can cut through absolutely any anything he's kind of in like a gray and blue armor with like a a helmet that like it's almost like an iron man helmet old school iron man helmet yeah yeah except it's all silver you know Mm -hmm. Uh, and he's got the big axe that he's using with two hands uh and it's got like a little atomic symbol on the axe just so you know that it's (laughs) an atomic axe that's right uh emerald empress served by the eye excuse me by the mystic eye of ekron she gives me like some Scarlet Witch vibes a little bit. No headpiece, but uh, she's got like a green and white kind of a flowing, uh, you know, shirt with a big cape flowing behind her. And she's got a belt that looks like it's got emeralds all around it, which is kind of an interesting uh, look. Yeah. And then she's got a giant green eyeball that floats around in front of her that I guess she uses to control <laughs> It also vaporizes some poor schmuck, uh, you know, yeah. with a blast. Yep. Then you have Therok, the brilliant cyborg killing machine. Now he's the most interesting uh, looking character, obviously. I assume this look is retained from old school Legion books um, and not just a ripoff of T2 or Terminator when <laughs> yeah. uh, Arnold is like half machine and half uh, man in the, in, in his honest face there. Uh, so yeah, he's basically just a guy, a regular guy uh, on his right side with, you know, a standard like yellow uh, suit. And then the left side is a fully uh, a robot. So yeah. it goes right down the middle. Complete cyborg there on the on the uh, uh, yeah on that other half. Okay, and now he, apparently he is the only being alive capable of controlling the man child, <laughs> Validus. This dude, wow, this thing looks crazy. Tell him about it. Yeah, he's something else. He he's a. Uh... Looks like the bruiser of the group. He's probably about, what, 15 feet tall? Mm, and, and, you know, bigger than, closer to Maul than the Hulk. Uh, right. <laughs> Maul from the Wildcats than he is to the Hulk as far as his size. No eyes or nose or ears, just a mouth and a big uh, dome over his head that you can see through with his giant brain exposed. Yeah. Three big fingers instead of five on each of his hands. Uh, pretty interesting look. So, okay, uh, just real quick before I forget, because I was going through, you know me, fan of time travel. I'm like, I've never heard of this Epoch dude. Uh, He's probably been around for a while. Don't worry. Actually, I can tell you he's been around since. (laughs) Uh, Created by Gardner Fox and Mike Sikowski, uh, Justice League of America, number 10, March of 1962. It's our first appearance at Epoch. But I want to read this. This This ties into this. This is coming straight off of the wiki in the notes. It says, in the original JLA versus Avengers 1980 canceled crossover by George Mm. Perez. Yeah, that was by George Perez. Epoch and Kang the Conqueror were the main instigators in the plot against the JLA and the Avengers. Uh, Then says the artwork was reincorporated in a panel of JLA Avengers number three to suggest a false timeline made by Krona's time distortions in which the two battled each other in the quest for the cosmic egg. Interesting. 
just as an aside to that, uh, the aborted Avengers JLA from the 80s that never happened. A lot of that artwork is out there now that Perez, he did, I think, about 20 pages uh, before wow. they canceled it. Uh, and there's some really cool stuff out there. Like the Batman versus Captain America stuff in those pages is way better than what we got in the book that actually came out. No kidding. <laughs> Which that was one of the few parts of that series that I was kind of disappointed with was the Batman Captain America face off. Um, mm-hmm. I've seen where people have colored like inked and colored those pencils that Perez had done mm-hmm. uh, and they look really cool. And then I've actually seen recently somebody scripted those pages as well. I guess using, I don't know if they use Wolfman. Marv Wolfman was the writer, I believe. I don't know if they used script pages that they found of his or if they just, you know, made up their own, but I've seen that floating around on Facebook and stuff like that. So those are worth looking up, even if just for the, to look at the completed art with the, uh, with the colors and everything. It's very cool. Okay. Well, Hey, the main man Lobo shows up, you know, I've got him down here as holy crap. I mean, this thing just continues to get bigger and bigger and bringing <laughs> in more people pretty now. Batman, of course, like flung it, into the future uh, and uh, the Legion of Superheroes have him in a prison. So that's that's a neat way to kind of end things on the Batman front and kind of keep us uh, on the hook to find out what in the world is going to happen there. The, the Fatal Five was an interesting ad, and I'm just going to go ahead real quick. I, I'm, I'm picking them emerging in num- in issue three. Epochs at the front and all of them coming out of the portal <laughs> in the back. I will take that as my panel uh, for issue three. Uh, but before I get before I get to picking panels, I want to throw it to you here for these uh, for these two. What are you what are you thinking here for these two issues? Anything you want to talk about? Um, you know, it opens up with the the, uh, the blizzard, uh, which it's always cool to see Perez do uh, a blizzard, <laughs> even <laughs> if only for a few pages here. He's there's a, a sequence in uh, JLA Avengers. that's really cool. Uh, with with a, a blizzard going on, and then I think Crisis has uh, a couple of scenes with with that kind of uh, uh, art going on. That's really cool looking. Um, the again the Blue Beetle, like his just his demeanor and his interaction with Batman, I'm a big fan of. Um, Supergirl and Lobo is a really unique pairing. It's actually interesting because I've probably read more Lobo in the last three weeks than I ever have in my life because I read the <laughs> the holiday, the the Lobo Christmas paramilitary special or special. something like that. Yep, right. Uh, I read that uh, on Christmas Day. That's and then great. I actually just watched a an episode of the Superman animated series that Lobo uh, appeared in. <laughs> uh, and then wow. this, this storyline as well. So I'm not super familiar with Lobo. I've never been like a big fan, but it is cool to see him show up uh, and interact with uh, Supergirl of all people. And I will I will tell you real quick if you ever get the opportunity I'm sure there's stuff on YouTube on it um, there's a couple there's a couple things I will point out about uh, Lobo that I learned when we were doing we did the Lobo paramilitary special back in like oh, I want to say it was a couple years ago but I, mm-hmm. there is a live action movie yeah I think you that, pointed that out to me at one okay. point I never uh, have watched it's on YouTube though right yeah yeah you can find it on YouTube and if they have any clips of what occurred in smallville smallville um krypton krypton season Mm. two lobo shows up for like i think two episodes and i don't know how they got it right but man did they get it right (laughs) he he is probably one of the best lobos i've ever seen um he wasn't like he was he definitely wasn't as big and imposing i think as the dude that shows up in uh the you the uh the thing that's on youtube um the paramilitary special but i will tell you that the attitude and everything that happens in it, because it's 
him versus um shoot the uh superman's grandfather i think that's who it is in, in the krypton oh, okay. series but anyway it's great it it, it is probably some of the uh, best live action lobo there isn't too much of that but it's right. probably one of the best representations of lobo that i've seen and i mm-hmm. really liked it i'm the same way with you like I, I don't read a whole lot of lobo i know of what i've read for this for the show but mm-hmm. you know, it's yeah, it's enjoyable. I'm so kind of, yeah, I'm kind of indifferent. I'm not like a fan, or I, I don't dislike him or anything. I just haven't read a whole lot. The main connection I have with Lobo is actually a an issue of Superman, Man of Steel. You probably know where I'm going with this uh, from the '90s, which is pr- one of my favorite cover gimmicks. Uh, where the it's the issue is just Lobo fighting Superman. But the cover is a color forms cover. It's like a cardstock cover, you know, on both both sides. And it came with like a sheet of color forms that you could. You remember color forms from like that late eighties, early nineties? I think so. Yeah, yeah. Oh, yeah. But they're no, basically. Dude, I know just exactly little, what you're talking about. They're now. like uh, yes. that you know you can peel on and off the off the surface of the color form board. Uh, so there were all these little tiny Superman and Lobo figures in like battle action, and then there's guns and like explosions and sound effects, and you can kind of create your own Lobo versus Superman battle on this giant metropolis color form cover uh really cool one of my favorite uh, cover gimmicks uh ever and uh i think the only one of its kind i'm not aware of any others but actually you know what now that i say that i think there was another one uh a few years later but it's not one that i i had but that one uh was really cool and that's the only lobo i had read for years and years probably until this (laughs) brave and the bold series came out yeah, look at that stuff. That's awesome. Like his freaking legs and stuff are right. <laughs> you can dude, basically have Lobo explode. That's so cool. <laughs> I had hours and hours of fun with that. Oh, that's great. That's <laughs> and great. when I was a few years younger, when I first started getting into comics, around when I was around ten or eleven, uh, my parents bought me a color form Marvel uh, set that was basically a page, like a page with like four or five panels on it. Uh-huh. And then a bunch of color form stickers of different Marvel characters. So you could create your own like comic book page and stuff. It was really oh, cool. that's awesome. That's awesome. Uh, that That's pretty much all I had for, for these issues. This, the fourth issue more than the others, uh, it seems like uh, focuses mostly on the Lobo Supergirl interactions and, and the other stuff. You know, at the at kind of bookends the the middle of the story, but yeah. Other than panels, I think you know I really love the um, the state that Batman ends up in. It's kind of a reminiscent of the composite Superman, Batman, whatever that's <laughs> whatever that character is called, where they're they're each one half of the um, yeah. Yeah, that's pretty uh, much all for, for these two issues. Okay. All right. Well, I picked my uh, I picked my panel on issue three, which, I, like I said, it's the Fatal Five emerging mm-hmm. from the portal. I'm going to go with the last page, which is this the image of Batman with uh, Thorak, uh, you know, combined uh, into one oh, character. Yeah. Yeah. That again, like how weird can this get? <laughs> <laughs> it's like just one more thing on top of another thing on top of another thing as we continue <laughs> to go through this. Yeah. They're really embracing the wackiness of of. DC Comics. <laughs> right, right. All right, and then issue four, I'll let you do the first, uh, pick the first panel out of that one. Uh, in issue four, I like the panel of Supergirl using her telescopic uh, vision uh, to, to kind of zoom in on the battle that Adam Strange and 
Hal Jordan are having with the Thanagarians uh, uh, over the city there. Yeah. Yeah. There's a lot, again, a lot going on. Everything mm-hmm. seems to have its purpose and it just seems like our heroes are overwhelmed and it's, you know, that's the way George can do things. He can, uh, he can just make it look like the odds are number one. What's on the page is unbelievable. And that's a good one, man. I like that. I'll take Supergirl and Lobo arm wrestling. Yeah. <laughs> and everybody watching them. Supergirl, all she wants to do is get to Ran. And Lobo's like, hey, let's stop here. Let's stop there. And supposedly <laughs> she let him win, which, right. <laughs> you know, OK. All right. Well, you know, Lobo is supposed to be, he's supposed to be able to hold his own. And mm-hmm. uh, but we've seen the power of Kara there earlier where she took out those big dudes. So you never know. But um, yeah, that also leads to a great moment with Supergirl where after he wins, Lobo wants to set up the bar with a round and uh, kind of keeps kind of trying to put off them yeah. moving along. And so this big giant alien, you know, orders, starts to order a drink and then Kara just like flings him across the bar and <laughs> looks around. Anybody else feeling thirsty? And, you know, crickets from the rest of the... Yeah, the hedge mage was pretty neat. I had that listed down here. Like them walking out and being transported to the hedge mage. Again, there's these weird, these fantastical. I use the word weird a lot, but I'll just go with fantastical. There's these fantastical concepts. Like when they walk out into this hedge maze and, you know, they try to fly up. They can't get out of this thing. When they fly up, they end up coming through the floor. When they go, (laughs) she uses her telescopic vision to look one way and she ends up looking at the back of her head. And it's like, this is weird. So um, again, using some neat concepts to tell a story. Mark Wade's doing a fantastic job here. All right. So, yeah, like I said, I'm going to kind of slow things down a little bit here. We'll just talk about issue five first because, again, there's a lot going on. We got to figure out how they're going to get this book of destiny back. How are they going to get it into the right hands of the people uh, who the people are that they got to get the right ha- got to get into the right hands. Plus, we just left off like Batman's uh, what, what they, is it a thousand years into the future? He's a thousand <laughs> years in the future and he's, you know, he's half man half uh well i guess he's half batman half therock uh so there's a lot of stuff to unpack here so here we go chapter five the batman of tomorrow same creative team on ran supergirl rescues adam strange and green lantern but starts to realize her powers are actually increasing due to the three yellow suns of the planet the trio follow a lead of adam strange's to a rebellion leader by the name of mondath so they're still trying to find who has this book uh, and things are kind of lead them to this person by the name of Mondath, who, when they find him, they realize, yes, this is the thief from Ventura that took the book. He tells them that the book has helped the Rands turn the tide on the Thanagarians. So I guess the Rands were getting beat pretty soundly by the Thanagarians. Mm-hmm. And the only way to kind of sway the tide of battle was to bring the Book of Destiny in. Um, because apparently the Thanagarians have, or the Thanagarians, however you say it, they have uh, a weapon their own, uh, of their own that's able to, like, do something similar to the Book of destiny or at least give them an advantage similar to the book of destiny but that being said so he's brought the book there uh supergirl tells him hey look the the luck lords have been manipulating you uh to get this book and that's when he reveals on a page that the luck lords are already there and she sees a picture of all three of them supergirl hal jordan and Adam Strange standing there and behind them are the Luck Lords. I think this I think this is our first look at these things. And so guess so. what? It's your turn, buddy. You get to des- describe what a Luck Lord looks like. <laughs> <laughs> what does a Luck Lord look like? They're essentially like robed, uh, tall, like robed aliens with basically their heads are just giant 
uh, eyeballs. That's it. Uh, the arms uh, are kind of like gooey, veiny, uh, <laughs> inhuman, uh, you know, long yeah. clawed fingers. And the, the, the back of their uh, eyeball skulls, you know, have the same, uh, like, gooey background, like, uh, back to their heads. Uh, mm-hmm. No mouths. Uh, they're talking, but uh, that's a mystery how that managed to be. Yeah. Yeah, it's weird. All right. Let's switch gears here. We'll talk about the uh, Batman and what his predicament is. In the 31st century, Legion of Superhero member Brainiac 5 works diligently on separating Batman and Therok and succeeds. Now they must figure out a way to get Batman back home as due to him being out of time, chronal rifts are beginning to appear, allowing threats from different times to pour out. Batman asks Brainiac to use the horror specs on him again to try and send him back, but when he pulls the trigger, nothing happens. So Batman grabs the gun and leaves the facility with Brainy's flight ring and heads into the 31st century. The Legion finally track him down and attempt to capture him. Batman even faces off with the Karate Kid before another time rift opens, giving Batman the chance to escape. Uh, uh, finding a slum, Batman ditches the ring, and when other Legion members, Starboy and Phantom Girl, find it, Batman confronts them. When Phantom Girl grabs the horror specs and turns it on Batman, another time rift opens, and out comes a very alive Dream Girl. I didn't know she was dead. I doubt. I don't know if a whole lot of people knew she was dead. But my goodness, did uh, what was her name? Phantom Girl. Phantom Girl was uh, taken aback when Dream Girl popped out of this rift. When Phantom Girl realizes that the horror specs can only work when it is used on someone perceived as a threat. Batman charges for, forward and she fires. In a brilliant flash, Batman and Phantom Girl look up, horrified to see one of the Luck Lords with the high respects and the Book of Destiny in their hands. So that is where we leave uh, Batman and the Legion of Superheroes it's not looking too good. First thing I want to bring up, and this is one of the one of the things that kind of stood out to me, Batman versus Karate Kid. When that started to unfold, I was like, oh, this is good stuff right here. <laughs> this is that, you know, Batman is known as one of the best hand to hand combatants, uh, hand to hand combatants uh, that the, Le- the Justice League has. And I'm fairly certain the same thing goes for the for Karate Kid in regards to being a member of the Legion of Superheroes. So getting those panels uh, just drawn by George was fantastic just to see that unfold. Now, the Dream Girl reveal where she comes out of the portal and they're like, oh, my gosh, what are you doing here? And everybody, I think of the Legion are like, don't say anything. She's been dead for a while, <laughs> even though I'm not again, I'm not a big Legion Legion dude, I knew this was something big that was going on, and to have her show up there, you know. I'm assuming was- that something that happened in the Legion book that Wade was writing, I don't remember, because it's been, you know, mm-hmm. 15 years <laughs> since I read any of those comics, but because he was doing the book, uh, I think, at the same time, I, I assume that's a kind of a tie into that series. Okay, all right. So, I want to talk about the Luck Lords. These are villains that are in primarily Legion lore. Yeah, actually, I'm on DCFandom.com. This character or group of characters was primarily an enemy of the Legion of Superheroes from the 31st century. Throughout my whole synopsis, I was calling them the Lords of Luck, and I think that was probably because <laughs> of the the title of the series or the title right. of this series of stories. Plus, I think the the guy from the Garden that used to read the Book of Destiny called them the Lords of Luck as well. But I've I've since learned they they are title they are called the Luck Lords. First appeared in 1966. My thing was what actually sent me off on my uh, trying to find out who these people were. Really, I just wanted to figure out what their motivation was because I was like, okay, you know, we've got a real fantastic tale here. 
why in the world do the Lords of Luck even care about the Book of Destiny? So we, we kind of learn a, a little bit about that just in the research that I did and their past. Obviously, with a name like Lords of Luck or Luck Lords, they're primarily uh, involved in either chance or mm-hmm. destiny, uh, fate, things of that nature. According to Comic Vine, uh, they're an alien race obsessed with luck. <laughs> so, <laughs> I mean, it's, it's, it's about as simple as that. So I didn't know specifically why they were after the Book of Destiny. And I think that's going to get revealed here in this next, in this next issue. But again, these are some wacky looking villains uh, who are, uh, you, they kind of have this like cosmic feel to them. Mm-hmm. Uh, in my opinion, but uh, I did see an image of them from one of the early uh, appearances and uh, they pretty much look the same. Perez just kind of updated it for, you know, maybe they didn't have arms in that original appearance. Uh, I can't, I can't recall for certain, but uh, yeah, just really uh, kind of goofball looking uh, <laughs> villains, but obviously quite uh, dangerous. Plot just continues to get crazier and crazier. You know, I did not know that the Luck Lords were a Legion villain until I did the research. To have them part of the story makes sense now. I was really kind of wondering, like, why in the world are we going in the Legion of Superhero territory with this? (laughs) But again, it shows like the range of this of this tale that's being told. Like Mm -hmm. it's going from Batman to Legion. Get ready. Uh, The big takeaway I had from this issue was the basically Batman versus the Legion of Superheroes, which another example of Batman wins. <laughs> Pretty much <laughs> like, uh, he's going to, he's going to find a way. Um, and the karate kid Batman fight, which is just a, like a, a four by three grid panels right. uh, of just a full page of uh, blow by blow of, of Batman versus karate kid is really like the kind of the highlight of this, uh, book and you know Batman has stolen a flight ring so he's you know they're doing this mid-air uh, hand-to-hand combat which is really uh, really cool um, so seeing Batman fly is kind of a, a bonus <laughs> <laughs> alright yeah that's pretty neat um, yeah I, I could tell you that like Brainy just continually insulting Batman <laughs> <laughs> and calling him a Cro Magnum or basically a Neanderthal. That was fun to see. And then to see Brainy get, you know, like you said, Batman wins. <laughs> Brainy ends up Brainy ends up he ends up, yeah, losing his flight ring. And that isn't where I don't know if even have it in the synopsis of the next issue, but I can tell you that Brainy does not meet a, a real fantastic end at right. the hands of of a, of a um uh, luck lord so did you want to pick your panel first you got one uh yeah i'll give you i'll give you first go in, in our final issue there's a lot of stuff that happens on the final issue so i'll pick <laughs> i'll pick first here issue five how many people can you put on a page how many things can you put on a page george <laughs> i mean the, the bats com- right dude the bats coming out of the portal okay there's like one two three four five six seven eight nine ten eleven twelve and all those things in the background there's you know there's all that going on i, I, I it's kind of like that that final page that whole final page is great, but where after they pull the trigger on the horror specs, trying to get Batman to possibly go back in time, there's a picture of like a disembodied floating head of, I believe that's Saturn girl. But that face right there is a great example of George's work in regards to like, just if he wants to draw a real close up uh, picture of somebody or close up face, uh, close up 
whatever uh, care, a close up of a character, he can do it and it looks real. His work doesn't feel too cartoony. It mm-hmm. definitely feels more grounded in reality. One of the things that I've pointed out in the past about George's work, again, we talked about it earlier, the amount of lines, the amount of time that he takes on a page and puts things onto a page. Hair is one of the things that really stands out for me. And you talked about Avengers, his Avengers run. Mm-hmm. Sit, sit back, grab a uh, grab an issue that has Scarlet Witch in it. Right. Count the curls. Just <laughs> sit down and count curls and it'll take you a minute to be done because that's how much line work goes into what he puts just in hair. That's just hair. I mean, <laughs> That's what blows my mind is like, oh, that's just hair. Anybody else would be like, okay, three or four little things and we're done. He does not do that. And it makes it look so much better. I mean, just just fantastic. But I'll take that final page because th- not only do we get that, you know, a gushed and gushed about one little picture of a face. We get, <laughs> <laughs> we get our big time full reveal and, oh, we're up crap crick without a paddle because <laughs> the luck lord has showed up and he's got both weapons in his hand. And, uh... I mean, just that final eyeball, just that eyeball. Look at all the lines on that. I mean, it's amazing. But anyway, all right. So there you go. There's there. That's what I'm taking. Now go ahead and take Karate Kid. <laughs> well, it'd be, it'd be easy to just cheat and use the whole page of the Karate oh, Kid. Oh, okay. I get you. Um, but I'm actually going to go with a smaller scale, um, which is the final panel on the on the page where uh, now I'm struggling to remember the, the names of these uh, – Legion Legion characters. So they they're looking for triplicate girl. She's disappeared. Then they find the triplicate uh, all like tied together, basically. (laughs) Uh, And the mini Legion character, uh, who's kind of like the size of the wasp, I guess. Uh, she's approaching Batman with her guns drawn and he just uses like a straw with a BB and launches that out and knocks her out pretty much. Uh, I really like that, that last panel there. All right. Very good. All right, man. Are you ready to finish this up? We'll talk about issue six. For sure. All right, here we go. So it looks like we get a little bit of a change up on the creative team. Still Mark Wade, still George Perez, but uh, the inks are now Scott Koblish. Colors are still Tom Smith and looks like letters are still by Rob Lee. So here we go. This is our finale title of the girl who knew too much. Victorious, the Luck Lords feel compelled to explain to a captured Batman and the Legion of Superheroes that their resistance means nothing by revealing a page of the Book of Destiny showing the past, which displays a very dead Supergirl, Adam Strange, (laughs) and Green Lantern impaled on some spikes. They also tell of how their plan came together, allowing the Ran-Thanagar War to continue in a stalemate for thousands of years, while each side developed unimaginable weapons, one of which the Luck Lords are going to use to rewrite time. Now here is their, here was their motivation. This is what I was trying to dig. And it took me a couple times to read and figure it out, but their motivation is to eliminate all elements of chance throughout history. That's a deep concept right there, but that's exactly <laughs> what the look Lords are going to do. They're going to rewrite time to eliminate all elements of chance throughout history. So now we flash back to the past events are unfolding. And during an attempt to get the book back from Mondath, a, the trio of Green Lantern, Supergirl, and Adam Strange are outmatched at every turn due to the Book of Destiny. Retreating, Supergirl tells Green Lantern that the guardian of the book said they need to get the book 
to the people that have been rewriting Destiny and that she was told Batman would be the one that could find them. The team asks Supergirl to use her telescopic vision and, and x-ray vision to read the book from where they are in order to find Batman. She sees he is in the distant future. So Green Lantern and Adam Strange rig a Zeta beam that can pull people through time and rip Batman back to the past in order to find out who these saviors are. After confirming Supergirl did not see them in the book, Batman and Adam Strange use the Zeta Beam to bring in the men they are looking for, and that is the Challengers of the <laughs> Unknown. Now, I will tell you that I had a feeling. I didn't know, but I was like, oh man, are this is this going to be like... The Challengers? Anyway, so the Challengers of the Unknown, here they are. And as the tide of battle swings to the side of the heroes, a large kryptonite talon swings upward, impaling Supergirl. Oh my goodness, it's all coming true. Green Lantern, <laughs> Green Lantern races her to space to heal while the fight continues. Remember, they got three sons up there. Hopefully that'll help her out. While the fight continues, and Mondath soon realizes the Book of Destiny is becoming quite useless. Thanks to the challengers. When the challengers grab the book, the luck lords appear to try to claim what they believe is theirs, but are soon Zeta beamed to orbit Oa in order to be imprisoned by the guardians. As the team try to collect themselves, realizing they have avoided a horrific future, they give the book to the challengers of the unknown for safekeeping. And as Supergirl heals, she appears to have no memory of what she has seen in the Book of Destiny. Or does she? All right. <laughs> so there we go. That is our uh, final issue. The final issue, sixth issue of this Lords of Luck tale in the Brave and the Bold. Um, I'm going to throw it to you first, man. What do you think? Well, we open with, you know, a really gruesome, <laughs> you know, yeah. uh, it's, it's a page from the book and it shows, you know, an impaled Kara and Hal and Adam Strange. I'm only just now noticing that... Like the finger claw, uh, the claw finger, whatever that Kara is impaled on is actually kryptonite, which right. I, I yep. didn't notice uh, until it happens later in the in the actual book. Uh, something else I didn't notice on the first read through, or maybe I did. You know, I mean, when I reread them here more recently, when when they have Batman and Brainiac, you know, held captive, and the the rest of the Legion is impaled on like a in the background, and they're like they're all dead already. Yeah, this this doesn't occur like right after that last issue. It, it, it there's yeah. definitely some time that have passed. Most of the Legion are dead. Brainiac, I, I don't know who the young girl with the brown hair is. I'm sure um, that's one of the yeah, Legion, obviously. Um, but yeah, Brainiac's still alive, and Batman's obviously briefly. still alive. Yeah, briefly. <laughs> yeah, he meets <laughs> he meets a pretty gruesome in there. I've always liked the concept and like the look of Adam Strange, especially here with Perez doing the the suit and the the uh, jetpack and everything. He looks he's always looked really cool to me. I know there's a Andy Cooper did a uh, an issue or I did a three issue Adam Strange miniseries like in the late 80s, early 90s that I've got uh, the issues. Haven't read them yet, but uh, he's a character I've always been interested in, but I really don't know a whole uh, a whole lot about uh, so it was cool to see him pop up in here kind of the same with the challengers just characters i'm not that familiar with that i've always kind of been curious about uh so when they do show up and stuff like this it's always a cool uh bonus <laughs> the the action is almost constant through this, this is the big uh finale and climax and everything uh and the the challengers showing up it's a really like dramatic uh entrance for them uh so uh really cool conclusion to uh, an outrageous kind of <laughs> dc cosmic comic with a lot yeah, of like 
you know, you see the challengers show up in this battle at the end and one of them's, you know, he's got this giant gun. <laughs> it's like the size of a, of a, uh, what, like a F-150. Yeah. <laughs> and uh, he's using a big, like, rubber band, I guess, to, like, pull the trigger. It's like, it's just like, what is going on here? <laughs> but, it, 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 you know, you just got to kind of embrace the wackiness of it. We're approaching such scope and bringing so many things in. Uh, you know, it, it's almost like, well, you, you didn't expect the challengers. Of course, the challengers <laughs> of, fan, of the unknown are going to be in here. Yeah, so they've been around for a while. 1957, I think, is their debut. Showcase number six is what it said. Uh, it says, in an uncredited story attributed to Jack Kirby for art and a Kirby and Dick Wood for script. So, yeah, the tra- challengers of the unknown have been around for a while. I, I do want to point out, there's a point where Supergirl, it, you know, she's traumatized by what she saw in the Book of Destiny. Mm-hmm. Uh, she sees her own death, and she sees all sorts of stuff that happens happens of course when she does die and she goes up gets healed she comes back down they're like hey do you remember anything and she's like no she goes but uh she says to how she goes does the name majestus mean anything to you now i'll ask hmm. you does the name majestus mean anything to you <laughs> does not okay well majestus i'm assuming this is going to be stuff that ties into the legion book uh that that kara ends up being like a co-star of later according to this Actually, Magistus does show up a couple uh, a couple issues later. Five appearances in The Brave and the Bold. Uh, issue 8, 9, 10, 11, and 12. And Magistus is an ancient, powerful alchemist who had long dominated his fusion between science and magic when he first saw signs of the final crisis as far as World War II. That, uh, I'm trying to find a date on first appearance, but I'm fairly certain... Like, okay, there's like eight appearances here on Comic Vine. Five of them are Brave and Bold. The other one is Brave and Bold, The Book of Destiny, which is that the trait of this? I would think so, or of the next storyline, maybe. Yeah, and then New 52 Futures End and New 52's Futures End. So, you know, this has got to be, um, this has got to be the first mention of Magistus. So definitely, <laughs> definitely a character that, that, you know, they didn't just drop name drop Magistus and was like, Oh God. We're so when he on. shows up in peacemaker, this issue is going to skyrocket. <laughs> Get your hands on it now, folks. <laughs> Get your hands on it now. Uh, you get you get first crack at a panel here on issue six. Uh, I'm gonna go with the uh, panel where Adam Strange is attacked by the Aqua Ray, which apparently turns you into water. Ooh, that was disturbing. <laughs> I, I, I remember sitting there going, "Oh, he's dead." <laughs> yeah, he, at the last moment, uh, Hal comes to the rescue and uh, and uh, shuts the ray down. But yeah, he's uh, dripping away pretty much. Yeah, it's it's not good. Uh, you know, it's the sixth issue. Okay, we got a two page spread. Batman is getting Zeta beamed. Mm-hmm. Back in time, and well, let's see how much we could throw on a page here because there is probably <laughs> I don't know how many things are going on here that I have no idea. Mm-hmm. Uh, about I could tell you that I assume this looks like Adam Strange. I think here's the thing. Well, I mean, you can see Booster Gold punching some dude right. out. Um, see an OMAC in there. Is that is that what that? Okay, there's an OMAC well, in there. The OMAC is the one that's like right underneath uh, Bruce or Batman's legs, pretty much. With okay. The mohawk. Yep, with the mohawk. What in the world? This half. Ling thing is here with the half fire, <laughs> uh, crazy dragon foot, blue green yeah. body. Uh, there's some more that might be challenger stuff over there. Look yeah, at the dude, like, look at the dude. Um, that's got to be a flash down there. There's like yeah, a flash running forward. Flashes. 
Yeah, there's a flash running forward and one running backward. Yeah, um, which is a cool touch. Uh, that there's always a flash trying to save the multiverse. <laughs> <laughs> right. Uh, and yeah, man, there's some really, it's almost like, Hey, Oh, there's two other flashes too at the underneath the Adam strange looking guy. There's oh. a, a reverse flash. And then underneath yep. that, it looks like a, you can barely see just like the, the red and yellow. I see yeah. it. Yep. Um, man, somebody could pick this apart that knows a lot more than yeah, we do. I'm assuming there's a lot of like silver age DC stuff and maybe pre DC like before, you know, Flash, Silver Age era stuff. Well, probably a lot of the, this is probably what a lot of these things are. Okay, I'll tell you what we need to know. But you know, we're not gonna we're not gonna spend time and figure this out right now because we've been <laughs> for a while. But okay, we need to know what that car is down there on the very bottom. If you go down the bottom on the left of this panel, there's oh, like yeah. a car with a fin on it, <laughs> and we're going to get answers to that at some point. Okay, it is post-edit time. We got answers. That's right. We uh, now know what this mysterious vehicle is that resides in the bottom left of this page. Yeah, reached out to our good friends over at the Superblog team-up and asked them if they could shed a little light on what we see here. And Evan Bevins, with the quick answer... This apparently belongs to a character by the name of Space Cabbie. I'm going to give you a rundown of Space Cabbie from the DC.Fandom.com. Space Cabbie first appeared in Mystery in Space number 21, September of 1954. He just is a cab driver who, it says here specifically, he ferries his fares around in cab number 7433, in the second half of the 22nd century. Occupation is interstellar multi-species transportation expert, former soldier of fortune, and former laborer. Created by Otto Bender and Howard Sherman. Uh, so powers and abilities. Driving. <laughs> He's an expert at piloting and aerial navigation. Multilingualism, so I'm sure you need that as a space cabbie, you know, driving around different aliens. And storytelling. He constantly tells stories to his clients based on facts, or not, from his own past. Most likely such stories tend to exaggeration. Wow. Okay, trivia here on dc.fandom.com. Space Cabby is one of the few interstellar characters who has actually befriended Lobo and lived to tell the tale. We got to get back to our discussion of Brave and the Bold 1 through 6, getting into our final thoughts. But I wanted to pop in here. Shout out to Evan Bevins for coming through with Space Cabby. And of course, Chris Bailey for pitching in as well. And all the great participants of the Superblog team up. So, all right, let's get back to it. Uh, and I'm going to post them on the Source Material Comics podcast page. So that Looks is... like a taxi, maybe? I don't know. <laughs> this is a shark car of some sort, orange <laughs> shark car. But it's it's gone through the multiverse or the, the time stream or something. Oh, that is... That's great. So we got to look at that. You know, I, I wonder if maybe the... You know, a lot of the... Um, trades for like Kerb Usyk and Mark Wade. A lot of times they'll do um, oh, in, like a direct collected editions. They'll have like annotations and stuff. Right. So I wonder if the Brave and the Bold, um, maybe the hardcover issue uh, version of the of that uh, collected edition, if it maybe has some annotated stuff uh, from from Wade explaining who all this, what all this stuff is. It deserves it. I mean, yeah. I mean, I know that 
Christ, what helped us out a lot on the history <laughs> yeah, of a lot you of these. Watch characters. us floundering around. Tell me about your final thoughts on the overall six issues we got here. Uh, yeah, I mean, it's a really cool book that I'm kind of ashamed that it took me so I've got a ton of uh, like individual storylines and stuff from old comics that, that I've read and you know, when they came out and I never, I never have really reread them. You know, when I was younger, 13, 14, uh, you know, you have less comics to buy, so they're precious. So you read them over and over and over again. Right. Uh, you know, you get older and your collection starts to expand. You're getting new stuff every month. So there was, there's always like, you know, I've always got a, a couple of short boxes of stuff that I want to go back and reread. And this Brave and the Bold stuff has been in one of my reread boxes for probably 10 years. <laughs> I just haven't ever taking the time until until recently to to go back and and dig back into it and, and I remembered very little. The only thing I really remembered about this was the interactions between Supergirl and Lobo a little bit and the Karate Kid Batman <laughs> fight. Yeah. That's always uh, stuck out as a, as a big memory from this uh, storyline. So it was really cool to go back and and revisit this one and see Perez get to kind of let loose with a variety of uh, different uh, DC characters uh, and and really go whole hog on some of this stuff. Yeah. Uh, so big thumbs up. Uh, I'll probably reread it again, you know, in, in the not too uh, distant future. <laughs> right. I had no idea what was going to happen here. I thought, you know, okay, it's Green Lantern, Batman. We're going to get a nice team up in these, uh, a neat story of these two where they have to try and figure something out. But no idea that we were getting so cosmic. I had no idea we were getting so, like, expansive when it comes to bringing in people. I had no idea that we were going to get this much in a six issue story. There's a lot that happens with a lot of characters that are established DC heroes and villains. Uh, so kudos to Mark Wade for coming up with a story. Of course, absolutely 100% enjoy the art that George put to the page. There's so much. I mean, yeah, dude, you, you, you can reread this and unless you're sitting there and taking an hour on each issue, you, you know, you're, you're not probably pulling everything out of in, out of it that was put into it because right. there's so much there's so much but this would be a good time to plug the sponsor of the w2m network and that is grammarly for you the listeners of source material grammarly is offering a free download of the grammarly software grammarly's ai powered products help people communicate more effectively grammarly helps you write mistake free on gmail facebook twitter linkedin and nearly anywhere else you write on the web. Grammarly corrects hundreds of grammar, punctuation, and spelling mistakes while also catching contextual errors, improving your vocabulary, and suggesting style improvements. To download Grammarly today, go to getgrammarly.com w2mnetwork. Again, that's getgrammarly.com w, the number two, mnetwork to download Grammarly for free. So I know you, I mean, you posted a picture uh, of you and George hanging out and I, I got to ask you <laughs> what, what led to this? What, what happened? Well, I mean, it was just a convention appearance, essentially, you know, that I live in Paducah, Kentucky. So right across the river from uh, my town here is Metropolis, Illinois. And Metropolis is sort of the adopted hometown of Superman, um, like officially. So mm -hmm. there's a Superman museum there. They have a big Superman uh, celebration every summer, which I mean, Metropolis, you know, Paducah is not a big town. It's uh, pretty small. And Metropolis is even more so. It's a really small <laughs> town in Illinois. <laughs> uh, but they uh, they've for, for, you know, 40 years or whatever, they've been embraced as like Superman's hometown. So they have the celebration every summer. A lot of times they'll have 
celebrities. They, they used to have um, Margot Kidder has been here or been there a few times. Uh, Lois Lane from the Superman movies of the 70s and 80s. The Lois Lane from the old 50s George Reeve uh, television show. She has a statue in Metropolis. Um, uh, she used to come every summer and uh, Smallville actors, you know, come to the thing. And then they always have comic book guests as well. So uh, one year, George Perez was there and I was like, well, I'm not going to admit, I don't go to the Superman celebration very often because it's hot. It's in the middle of the summer. It's almost like a kind of a state fair type thing. So it's not really my thing anyway, outside of the fact that it's uh, Superman based. (laughs) (laughs) Um, But when they do have comic book people I care about, I I, I usually try and go. Jeff Loeb was there one year. I got a couple comics signed by him. Kurt Busiek was there uh, one year. That was a really great uh, interaction. And I got to talk to him for like 10, 15 minutes. But yeah, when Perez was there, I, I knew I had to make sure I, I was the, I, I made it. And that was actually going to be 10 years ago, I guess, this summer. It was 2012. I took a bunch of books uh, and, you know, waited in the line or whatever. I got up to talk to him and I was like, hey, do you have like a limit on how many books you'll sign? And he's like, no limit as long. Like, he, was, he basically was like, you know, we want to be uh, aware that there are other people waiting, but yeah. uh, there's not like a hard limit. So he signed, you know, maybe 10 or 12 uh, single issues and maybe five or 10 like hardcovers. I had my JLA Avengers hardcover, some of my other stuff. And uh, he was just a super nice uh, personal guy. I got a Thanos sketch uh, that he did for me um, at a very reasonable price, you know, and got yeah. a picture with him. Uh, super, super nice, personable. You know, I've always heard the interactions with him. have always been pleasant from everybody, all the experiences uh other comic pros talk about perez in glowing terms and stuff and that was the experience i had he was super nice super great guy and uh it was a real treat because he's i can say i've had the pleasure of meeting two living legends you know in my life mm-hmm. i met Royce gracie uh the ufc uh yeah. the initial ufc champion when i was doing jiu-jitsu here uh there's a gracie school and he came and did seminars a couple times so i got to meet him probably about 10 or 15 years ago now uh, and then i got to meet uh george perez live uh, like those guys are literally like legends in their fields and mm-hmm. it was really like an honor to meet those guys and, and get a picture with them and stuff so uh, and and both times really ex- uh, pleasant experiences and exchanges with them so can't say enough good things about uh, about george perez okay can you give me an idea of when you think you first recognized his work that's a little tougher because i you know the the infinity gauntlet book you know that came along about a year into my comic book you know reading uh, experience and i definitely picked up all of those issues uh he only worked on i guess the first three and a half issues mm-hmm. but i wasn't somebody like i was young i didn't really care about like i didn't really start to notice i I knew art that i liked and didn't like but i didn't like follow uh writers or artists really at that time right not until i got to be a little bit older so the first time i really probably recognized perez as like an artist i was a really big fan of was probably when he did the that adventures run in 97. he had worked on uh stuff that i had read in between infinity gauntlet like he did some except for malibu ultra uh, Ultra Force and Prime, uh, a couple of Prime issues, but those I think were released in that dead period where I wasn't really into comics. Mm-hmm. So uh, I think when I really kind of, I, I guess I knew who he was because of Crisis. I knew that was a big deal, and I knew that Wolfman and Perez on Teen Titans and Crisis were like big, a, a big creative team. Yeah, uh, but I'd never read those. You know, when I was younger, those were books that you know didn't really have. You know, collections weren't really a thing. That not much of a thing anyway until like the late. 90s so Mm -hmm. the first time i really probably started to follow perez is when uh 
when he did that Avengers run. And then from that point, I, you know, would read everything I could that he did. <laughs> yeah. Yeah. I will absolutely say it was Infinity Gauntlet. You know, I certainly wasn't paying attention to who's writing what or who was drawing what. But when I read Infinity Gauntlet, it felt like it was set apart from other things that I had read. Mm -hmm. uh, so, you know, I, I've had the opportunity to clearly read it again. I also did a, a, a podcast on the Infinity Gauntlet and to look at what was put on the page by George. It's hard to even describe the magnificence of some of the stuff that occurs I've had the chance now with with these shows that I've been doing, I, I was able to go back and experience the new Teen Titans. Uh, and again, look at Wolfman and Perez, uh, Perez put those together. The Avengers stuff is actually something that I never read. And I talk about this actually on the unspoken issues that we're doing with uh, that I'm doing with Dean and Derry. I wasn't reading Avengers in the 90s. It was kind of like one of those things where it was like, OK, you know, you got your image books and you got marvel trying to do avengers again and i was like no nah, i'll pass but now all of a sudden i'm like we, we just did avengers and squadron supreme and i was like this is really you know just looking at what unfolds on the page looks great so i'm kind of sad that i missed that stuff and i didn't really read much wonder woman but crisis took me forever to get to crisis and actually read it mm. um but wow, I mean, there's the uh, there is the quintessential George Perez putting like nine billion people from that universe <laughs> on a two page spread that ha I remember that being something that really spoke to me and made me understand that the talent that this guy has to make everything look like this and have that much detail on the page is just uh, it's it's just amazing so i mean you know to have us be able to talk about the impact that he has made uh not only in the comics you know the comics medium but also amongst his peers and amongst his fans uh to carry that legacy of being a great person just all around is it's heartbreaking to see that end mm -hmm. and yeah, he has to face uh, the inevitable, I guess. I, you right. know, it's, it's it's hard to put into words, but... It, again, it really is disheartening to see uh, somebody uh, in the kind of a public uh, sphere that you've uh, admired and really enjoyed their work for, for a long time, uh, you know, have to kind of uh, face, you know, again, face their mortality. And I don't... N not to... To give out like you know false hopes or anything but you know people get diagnosis you know and and they get a, a time frame all the time and you know they exceed that by months and sometimes years so mm -hmm. uh, there's still the hope that you know maybe he will be around longer than than he's expecting that people are expecting uh and if not he seems to be prepared for for whatever's coming in the next you know handful of months and year and maybe years uh it's admirable the way he's uh, facing it and dealing with it. Um, and he's kind of restarted a new Facebook page since the, the news came out and he's constantly, you know, given updates of, you know, visiting his, his parents, his family, you know, uh, talking about how much he loves his wife, which is something he's always kind of done on social media. Uh, right. just a really, uh, a joyous person and, uh, definitely encourage people to follow his uh, social media accounts. Uh, if you're not already doing so. This episode, along with all of the other super blog team up, uh, contributions are in tribute, uh, to George Perez and, and our thoughts are with him and his family as they face this challenge. We only, we wish only the best. So with that being said for Chris Armstrong, I'm Jesse Starcher. This has been the source material comics podcast. Thank you very much for, uh, for hanging out with us tonight. We'll uh, talk to you again soon. Have a good one. Bye-bye.